You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of 1 Peter. We're calling Road Trip. With this week's message, here's pastor to young adults, Caleb Carmichael. Well, they say that opposites attract. And my wife Sam and I have found that to be pretty true in our own relationship, that while we have a lot of things in common and we're alike in a lot of different ways, that there are some areas where we are on the opposite side of the spectrum. See, my wife is a rule follower. If there is a rule in place, she will follow it. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where the rule comes from. It doesn't matter if the rule is arbitrary or if it's made up. She is like, there's a rule. I'm going to follow it. On the other hand, I might describe myself as maybe a rule bender. I don't, I don't mind following rules as long as they make sense to me, as long as I agree with the rules, as long as I see the purpose of the rule, I'll, I'll follow it. But if, if it doesn't make sense to me, I, I don't really have a problem bending the rules to make them work for me. My wife is a, is a peacemaker. She does not like confrontation. Um, she would avoid confrontation at all costs. Sam uh, just, just doesn't want to get in arguments. And, and she would say, on the other hand, my love language is arguing. I, I like to argue. If there is a button to push, I'm like looking for it because I just want to push buttons and just see what happens. Like that's, that's my personality. And so we get to passages to today in 1 Peter where it talks about submitting to authority and being subject to authority. And if I'm really honest, it's really difficult for me to follow these, these verses in Scripture. It's, it's a little convicting for me. And so for some of us this morning, as we go through this, it might not be a big deal for you, but, but I think for others, I'm probably going to maybe push some buttons. And just know that when I'm pushing your buttons, I'm pushing my own buttons right along with it. Remember, it's Peter's words, not mine. And so maybe you're here, and you're not just a rule bender like me. You're saying, no, 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 I'm a full-on rule breaker, right? I don't want anyone or anything telling me what to do, right? Like, I hate that. I want my freedom. I want my independence. I don't want to submit to anyone or anything, right? All the Enneagram 8s in the room said amen, right? I am not submitting. And maybe for you, on the other side of the spectrum, you love the idea of someone being an authority over you, right? Because... Maybe for you, it takes the pressure off, right? I just do what they say. I don't have to worry about making the decision. It it kind of frees me up to to do whatever. It gives you a sense of security, takes the pressure off. And maybe for others of you, you're you're somewhere in the middle, right? You just want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and live, as Joe introduced last week, as ambassadors, as sojourners in this culture that's around us. And maybe you're like me, whether you are on one side of this rule-bending spectrum or the other, and, and you're honestly, you're just tired, right? The last few years have been nothing but exhausting for you, that you feel torn in a million different directions, that everything is polarized, that everything, it feels like you have to take a side, and that once you take a side on, on one issue, all of a sudden you're lumped in with these people on this issue, and it means you're against these people on the other issue, and you're like, I don't even know that I agree with that, but somehow I'm there, and now we're fighting, and everything is pick a side, and if you pick the wrong side, and you make the wrong people mad, well, then, and then you're just done, and you just think, I, I'm exhausted by this. So how do we live as followers of Jesus in the culture 
around us? How do we love our neighbor and protect our rights and defend our freedom and then still stand up for the oppressed and then submit to authority and then at the same time look after our kids and then impact our community, but at the same time protect ourselves from it? And how do we live as followers of Jesus in 2021 America? Joe set us up last week um, by taking us into First uh, Peter chapter 2. So I'd invite you, if you have your copy of Scripture, whether a physical copy or if you're following along in, in you version and following along with our live event, you're welcome to do that as well. But to turn to First Peter chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 13 in just a second. But I just want to remind us that Joe ended last week by, by Peter pointing out that we as followers of Jesus, that we are sojourners, that we are ambassadors, that we are exiles, that this place is not our home, it is not our final destination, that we're on this road trip and we're just passing through. And so Peter picks up with that idea from last week, and this week we're going to see some practical applications that he gives us on what it looks like to live this principle out. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13, Peter says this, he says, Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor." Be subject to every human institution. It could be your national, state, local governments. That could be your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss. That could be, if you're a student, your teachers or your professors, your principal or your dean. Right? He says, be subject, no matter what the institution is, be subject to every human institution. Why? For, for your own sake? No. For the Lord's sake. That this isn't about you. This is the will of God. The will of God is that you would be subject to every human institution. And this is Romans 13. So if you don't believe Peter, you might turn over to Romans 13 and read what Paul has to say about this, that, that the authorities over us are there because God has allowed them to be there. And so it's God's will that we would be subject to them. And let's be honest, this, is, this isn't a big deal. It's pretty easy when the people who are in authority over us, we agree with them or we like them. It's a lot more difficult when we don't. But that isn't the litmus test of our submission. It's to every human institution for the Lord's sake. Why? So that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's not that by arguing more or being louder or winning your Facebook debate that you're going to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He says, no, it's that by doing good. That as followers of Jesus, how we win people over is by our love and by doing good. And in doing that, you put to silence this ignorance. And before I continue, I, I want to stop and pause and say, is there, a, is there a time for civil disobedience? Is there a time to, to stand up and to submit to God's authority versus man's authority? I would say scripture tells us that there is a time for that. That we see Peter himself do this in Acts chapter 4, that when the authority over him was stopping him from following Jesus and stopping him from telling other people about Jesus, that he disregarded their authority and listened to God's authority. But we must be careful in this. And even in moments like this, we are to show respect 
and honor. That Daniel, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, gives us a similar example that not only was he subject to human authority in this institution, he was actually a part of it. He was a part of this government, this government that was not God's government, this government that did things that he probably didn't agree with. He participated in that government. It wasn't until that he was explicitly forced to go against God's will that he disobeyed the human authority. And see, for us, I think we have this tendency to think if, if this institution above us does things, if they allow things that we don't agree with, then we can rebel. But that's not what Scripture shows us. It's that when they explicitly stop us from doing something that's following God's will or force us to do something that's against God's will, that we have the ability to disregard. But just because they allow something doesn't mean we can rebel and do our own thing. No, Peter says even in those moments we are to submit to every human institution. He continues in verse 16. He says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, this sentence at first, I'm like, Peter, what are, you, what are you saying? Live as people who are free. Live as servants. I'm like, Peter, that doesn't go together. I can't live as someone who's free and at the same time live as a servant. Those, those just don't work together. Because, see, freedom in our culture in, in today's age means doing whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. And if you have the audacity to tell me that I can't do something, well, then you're wrong, you're ignorant, and you know what? You might even be evil because freedom today means doing whatever I want. And what's amazing in our time is that both sides of the political aisle are fighting for more freedoms. It's just in the specific areas that they want. There's a pastor and author named Mark Sayers, and he says this about this. He says, both the contemporary left and right seek to expand personal freedom as a solution to the human condition. He continues and says, we are drowning in freedoms, but we're thirsting for meaning. That culture tells us that if we get more freedom, then we will be happy. Then we will be content. But how have you seen this play out in your own life? Right? It's, it's exactly the moments that I get everything that I want that my life seems to fall apart. Because, I'm going to let you in a secret, I'm not very good at knowing what's best for my own life. And so it's when I take things into my own hands, when I live out the freedoms that I want to live out, when I do things exactly my own way, that life doesn't go well for me. That to think, do, be, and act like I want is what is ultimate. And this kind of reminds me of the garden. That when Adam and Eve saw that the fruit was good for gaining knowledge, they took it on their own instead of limiting their freedom and trusting in God. And yet the political world pushes personal freedom as a solution to everything. But God's kingdom is the upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom where the king came to serve. It's the kingdom where we're called to love our enemies, not to hate them. It's a kingdom where the last are first and the first are last. It's a kingdom where if we want to find our lives, we have to give them up. It's a kingdom where the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers are the ones who are blessed. It's a kingdom where we are told that we are free, but then not to use that freedom to do whatever we want, but instead to live as servants of God. That in giving up some freedoms, we find real freedom. Freedom to love. Freedom to experience peace, freedom from sin and from shame, freedom from anxiety, freedom to live a life of significance. This is the freedom that our God offers us 
that by sacrificing some level of freedom, we find meaning in our lives. Tim Keller, a pastor and author, says this. We see that freedom is not what culture tells us. That real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It's not the absence of constraints, but it's choosing the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose. And we all understand this if we really think about it, that I can choose tacos or burgers for my lunch today, but I really can't choose both. That by choosing one, I'm I'm not choosing the other. And this comes back to what Joe said last week, that our strongest desires aren't always our deepest desires. That if we want to fulfill the deepest desires in our lives, sometimes it means limiting or restricting some of our stronger desires. See, I might have a deep desire to run a marathon, but when my alarm goes off at five in the morning, my much, much stronger desire is to hit that snooze button and to go back to sleep. I don't want to go out and run and train. I just want to go back to sleep. I'm free to do either, but I'm not free to do both. I will serve something in that moment, either my desire to run a marathon or my desire to get some more sleep. And so what Peter is saying here, and what we see all throughout Scripture, we see Jesus, we see Paul, we see Peter here, says that we will serve something. It might be ourselves. It might be our passions. It might be our desires. It might be our freedoms. It might be our pleasure. It might be our comfort. It might be our job or our family or our finances. We're going to serve something, he says, but if we can give up the right freedoms and serve God, that, that is when we will find life. That we choose to use our freedom to serve God, and in that we find life and purpose and significance. See, this is the paradox of freedom and submission, that by giving up some freedoms, we will find life. And so what does this look like, Peter? Like, okay, great, I'm with you in principle, but what, what do we actually do? He gives us some practical application right here in verse 17. And this, this advice is incredibly simple, but it's incredibly difficult to live out. Verse 17, he says, live as people who are free, as give up some freedoms to live as people who are free by doing these things. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Stop. Honor to place a high value on, to show respect for. And so what Peter's saying is honor everyone, people on the left, people on the right, people you don't agree with, people you don't even really like. He says everyone. There are no exclusions here. Honor the people who deserve honor, Peter? He says no, no, everyone. But Peter, you don't know what they've done. They don't deserve my... That's not the point. Honor everyone takes it a step further for believers. He says, honor the brotherhood, honor the fellowship of believers, honor, I mean, love other Christians, not just honor them, but, but love them, sacrificially love the brotherhood. Yeah, but, but Peter, you don't know the people I go to church with. Like, I don't know if you've seen the people on the other side of the room, but like, they're difficult to love. He goes, yeah, that's kind of the point. Love the brotherhood. But Peter, you don't know what that, no, love them. Fear God. Well, it's not really that big of a deal if I don't honor everyone or love the brotherhood. And he says, no, no, be careful. Fear God. And then finally he comes back and he says, honor the emperor. 
And naturally, the emperor would have been included in that everyone from earlier. But for some reason, Peter felt the need to say this again, that his audience at the time and maybe the audience in this room today, that we like, naturally take the emperor out of the equation because he's not included in everyone. But he says, no, 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 that doesn't matter. Honor everyone. That includes the emperor. That includes the president, the current president, previous president, whoever's the president next time. You're like, yeah, but they really don't deserve to be honored. It doesn't matter. Honor them. Yeah, but Peter, you don't know. because You're right, I don't know. But the emperor that I'm telling my people to honor here is Nero. The same Nero who would eventually persecute Christians. And by persecute, we mean round up, arrest, torture, and murder. That's the emperor that Peter's writing and saying, honor that guy. So you get this list, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And the, and the problem with all of this that I don't think Peter realizes is that this is, this is hard. And this is risky. Right? Because somebody has to go first. And when you go first, you risk being burned. You risk being vulnerable. You risk giving yourself up. And so, so as believers, so often we want the world to go first in this. Like we want the world to accept us and understand us and agree with us and think like us and act like us. And then, then we can honor them and then we can love them. We want the world to go first. But let's be honest, it doesn't happen that way. And so then as believers, what we do is we retreat and we get defensive and we create this vicious cycle where we're yelling and screaming at the world for living like the world. And, and they're either yelling and screaming back or, or maybe just like, oh, okay, whatever, move on. And, and we want the world to go first, but we forget that we aren't of this world, that we're ambassadors in a foreign land, sojourners just passing through, exiles from our home, and that the world will never think, act, or believe what we believe. So we can cling to our control and our power and we can enter into this vicious cycle or we can choose as believers to risk it and to go first. What would it look like for believers to allow ourselves to be taken advantage of for the sake of the gospel? That Luke 6, Jesus tells this to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who abuse us, and, and to do all of that without expecting anything in return. But in that trusting in our God who sees and understands, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We might get burned. It's risky. But Peter knew that. And he continues in verse 18. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. See, Peter is getting ahead of us in our line of thinking. He says, what if they don't deserve it? What if they're treating me unfairly? What if I'm in the right and they are in the wrong? He says, even then be subject to their authority. He says, anybody can suffer when they do wrong and are punished for it, right? Like, you're, there's no honor in that. As Like, if, if we do wrong and we're punished, I guess we're getting what we deserve. But if you do wrong 
I mean, if you do right, if, you, if you're in the right, if you don't do wrong and are, and are punished for it, man, you get to demonstrate God's grace in that. You get to be the image of our gracious God towards somebody else. That Joe last week asked this question. He says, what if the only thing anyone knew about Jesus was you and your life? The only picture of Jesus they ever saw was you. He said, in this moment, when you're in the right and they're in the wrong, when you're suffering unjustly, that this is God's will, that you might be a demonstration of God's grace to the world. That this isn't just, I'll be subject to those I agree with. Even those who are unjust were called to be subject to. And we get to show off God's grace. He continues, verse 21. He says, for to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, maybe you've heard someone say that following Jesus is going to make all of your problems go away. Peter would say, no, in fact, you've actually been called to suffer. That as a follower of Jesus, you are called to suffer. See, I 100% with the bottom of my heart believe that following Jesus makes our lives better but I don't believe it makes them easier or more comfortable or more convenient. He says, follow Jesus as he suffered. This example that we're following is Jesus, his patient suffering, his unjust suffering. And this word example in the Greek has this image in mind. Imagine when I was little and I was learning to draw, I never really did get any good at it, but, but I was really good at tracing. Right? If, if I wanted to draw something, I'd just find someone else who drew it well and put a piece of paper on top of it and start tracing whatever I was trying to draw. That's, that's the image this example has in mind, that, that you are literally just tracing someone else, that you're following Jesus' example in his patient and unjust suffering, that Christ, perfect in every way, right? So he's already met a standard that we'll never live up to. But, but even when he's perfect, he never committed fault, never did anything wrong. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was lied about, and yet he suffered patiently through all of that. How? How did Jesus do that? Because his trust wasn't in other people. His trust wasn't in the legal system. His trust wasn't in his government. His trust wasn't in anything other than his father. He trusted in the one who judges justly. He knew how the story would end. He knew his father's heart. He knew that his heavenly father was gracious and compassionate and yet fair and just. And this trust, his trust in his heavenly father allowed him to do the impossible. That an innocent life given up for the worst of the worst. That he took my sin my rebellion, my pride, my arrogance, my failures, all upon himself on the cross. That through his death, I might die to my sin and that through his life, I might live to righteousness. That this is the gospel that you'll hear every single week because the gospel is what's central to, to everything that we do. That following Jesus is all about what Jesus has done for us. That by his wounds, we are healed 
And if you're new to, to church or you're new to, to Jesus, what we believe is that each and every one of us in this room are what we would call sinners. We're rebellers. We're rule breakers. That when we disobeyed God or we take things into our own hands because God is holy and just, that, that our sin separates us from God. But that God is compassionate and merciful and he loves us and he doesn't want to leave us in this separation, that he wants to have a relationship with us. But there was a price that needed to be paid. And so he paid that own price by sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life that we can never live to die on a cross to take the punishment of my sin and for yours, and that three days later he was raised from the dead, defeating death itself, and that's simply by placing our trust in Jesus that we're made right with God, that we don't have to do anything to earn that, and there's, there's nothing we have to do to prove it, that it's simply acknowledging, placing our trust in Jesus for our salvation. And if you've never done that before, I would invite you to do it right here in this moment, that there's not a magic prayer you have to say, that you don't have to clean up your act first, that it's simply acknowledging to Jesus, Jesus, I'm trusting you for my salvation. Trusting what you did on the cross counts for me. And whether you've done that just now or you did that 50 years ago, verse 25, I think applies to all of us. It says, for you, we're straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, Christians, we have a reputation for getting so mad at the world, for acting like the world, that we forget we were once there too, that we were straying like sheep. And it's because of Jesus that we can live the life that he's called us to, not our own strength or our own power or our own abilities. It's all for Jesus. And listen, this whole concept here that Peter's talking about, this is incredibly difficult for me. I'm a rule bender. I'm a button pusher. I don't always like this. But James 4, 17 says, to know the right thing to do and to fail to do it is sin for me. And so if I haven't pushed your buttons already, let me, let me have one more chance. I'm going to invite you to ask yourself a couple of questions. And I just all I ask is that you be honest with yourself. You can lie to me. That's, that's fine. Just be honest with yourself. If you struggle with anything that we've read this morning from Peter, I would encourage you to ask yourself this question. Why is it difficult for me to submit to authority? Really? Is it because I feel threatened that I might lose my comfort or my security or my power or my influence? Is it the sense of defending yourself, your rights, your privileges, your freedom? See, freedom is not our God. Our God gives freedom, a freedom to love, a freedom to serve others without worrying about the outcomes. Maybe for you, it's difficult because there's a need to feel like you're in control or a pride thinking that, that you know best and that everything is up to you. Or maybe for you, it's just you look at the history of your life and you look at the people in authority over you and you think, I just, I just don't trust them. Probably fairly so, fairly right. So, so the next question is this. Where am I placing my trust, really? Do I have this need to be in control of the situation and that by submitting or being subject to authority, I'm opening, opening myself up to vulnerabilities? Am I trusting in my own power or understanding? Or can I submit trusting that my heavenly Father, who judges justly, will provide? 
Am I trusting in the government? Trusting in who's president or not president? Am I trusting in my job, my 401k, my health, my family, my routine? Or am I trusting in the one who judges justly? See, if I'm honest, I I don't like my own answers to those questions. See, it's so hard for me not to get worried or anxious or mad or stressed or somehow all of the above at the same time when I look out at the world that we're living in. See, in fact, uh, there was a recent study done by the University of Virginia's Center for for Politics. And they they polled a bunch of people and they showed that 75% of Biden voters and 78% of Trump voters, so so three quarters on either side, um, that they believe that their political opponents have become a clear and present danger to the American way of life. That three quarters of people who voted for Biden and three quarters of the people who voted for Trump look out at the other side and say they are the problem. They're what's wrong. They are, not only are they wrong, but they're a threat. They're a threat to the American way of life. It goes further and says 52% of Trump voters and 41% of Biden voters support splitting the country into two along red and blue lines. Where are you placing your trust? Is it in Biden? Is it in Trump? Is it in protecting your freedoms and and your idea of the American way of life? Because the American way of life isn't what followers of Jesus are called to live. That we are exiles, sojourners, ambassadors from a different kingdom, an upside-down kingdom. That freedom is not our God, the government is not our hope, and people are not our enemy. That if everything is about keeping or gaining or protecting our freedoms, then maybe we're serving freedom itself over our God. That if our hope is in who's in office, we will always be anxious about keeping them there or getting them there, and we're always going to be disappointed when things don't work out the way that we wanted. Or if we look at people on the other side as an enemy to defeat instead of people to love, we're confused on, on who our real enemy is. Freedom is not our God. The government is not our hope. People are not our enemy. As Peter says, we're to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, to honor the emperor. Last week, Joe quoted from an author and a pastor named John Mark Comer, who, who wrote a book called Live No Lies. Um, and in that, that same book, um, Comer references Dr. Larry Hurtado. He's a, he's a historian and an author Um, historian of early Christianity. He wrote a book called Destroyer of the Gods. And in that book, he tells the story of how a tiny Jewish sect of Jesus followers overcame and won over the Roman Empire in only a few centuries. His thesis is that it wasn't the church's relevance or relatability to the culture, but its difference and distinctness that made it compelling to so many. The church was marked by five distinctive features, all of which made it stand out against the backdrop of the empire. That the church, first, was multiracial and multi-ethnic, with a high value for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Second, the church was spread across socioeconomic lines as well, and there was a high value for caring for the poor, that those with extra were expected to share with those with less. Third, it was staunch and its active resistance to infanticide and abortion. 
Fourth, it was resolute in its vision of marriage and sexuality as between one man and one woman for life. And fifth, it was non-violent, both on a personal level and a political level. And Comer makes the point now, if you were to plot those five features onto a map of modern American politics, the first two sound like liberal positions as they're dealing with race and class. The second two sound like conservative positions. And the last one doesn't really fit with either. He says, no political party or intellectual ideology outside of the church of Jesus holds all five together. See, the problem isn't when we belong to a political party. It's when we're more loyal to our political party than we are to Jesus, his teachings, and his way of life. So if you're in this room and you feel this pull, this anxiety, this tension, this struggle with how to handle the government and politics and friends and enemies and family and neighbors, this tension that you're feeling and that I'm feeling, I think is a, is a good thing because we're sojourners. We're just passing through. This is not our home. So what do we do? How, how do we live this out? What does this actually look like? Maybe, maybe try this. I'm going to give Give us some homework this week, and homework for you, for me, just as much as anybody else. Whenever you're drawn to turning on the news or to opening up Facebook or Twitter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to do this first. I'm going to invite you to, to open your copy of Scripture right now to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And what I'm going to invite you to do every day this week is instead of turning on the news or opening up Facebook or Twitter, the social media, the first thing you do, I'm going to instead, before you do any of that, to read Titus 3, 1 through 11 to yourself. And we're going to read it just now um, here. And as we do, I'd like you to, to just take a minute and imagine what it would be like if everybody in this room decided to live like this. Imagine if, if Jesus' followers everywhere were to simply follow these instructions and remember this advice before we checked the news, before we posted on social media, before we got into Facebook argument, that instead, we're just going to read Titus chapter 3. And we're going to pray through and ask God to help us understand what it means to live these verses out. See, Paul, what you're going to notice is, is echoing Peter here, or Peter's echoing Paul, that they're, they're bringing the same message. But Titus chapter 3. Paul writes, he says, remind them, them being believers. He's writing to Titus to give instructions on, on leading the church there. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. This already sounds like Peter. He says, to speak evil of no one. No one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That one gets me, because I don't even show perfect courtesy like towards my wife and the people I love, but man, to everyone, toward all people. Verse three, and he explains why we should do this. For we, ourselves, believers, were, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, that we were right there doing the exact same things. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done in righteousness, not because of anything we've done, but, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
so that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you, Titus, to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. That these things that I've just laid out for you, these things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Why? Because they are unprofitable and they're worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once or then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. If you're sitting here reading this and you're thinking, oh man, I'm so glad that person's in the room, or like you felt the need to like elbow your neighbor and be like, hey, listen, like, no, no. This is for you, just like it's for me. This is for all of us. See, I struggle with this. I struggle because I don't like feeling vulnerable. And this makes me feel vulnerable. That when I honor the people who don't deserve honor, when I love those that I disagree with, when I love those that are different than me, I, I feel like I'm going to be taken advantage of. And it makes me feel vulnerable. And so I just don't want to do it. But Christ is my example. The perfect life suffered unjustly. How could he do that? Because he trusted in his Father who judges justly that he didn't have to take things into his own hands. He didn't have to protect himself. He didn't have to to protect all of the things that he wanted. He says, you know what? I'm going to do what you've called me to do, Lord, and I'm going to trust in you. Imagine how freeing it would be if we all lived like this this week. That instead of the news, instead of social media, we just read Titus 3 and we looked for ways to live this out. We looked for ways to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And in those moments when it felt risky, we said, you know what, I'm going to go first because I can trust my Heavenly Father. I know His heart. I know that He is gracious and compassionate, that He's full of steadfast love, that He will never leave me nor forsake me. And so I can trust in him, that I can be subject to every human institution because I trust in my heavenly Father. Imagine what your life would look like, what my life would look like, if we gave up some freedoms in order to gain others. What if we gave up some freedoms for the sake of others? What if we chose to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, and to honor the emperor? You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.